0: This is a Radio.com original.
1: This is Coronavirus Daily, World on Pause. I'm Charles Feldman from the KNX Radio.com studios here in Los Angeles. And I'm Mike Simpson. And our aim today, as always, to talk about the latest Involving the global
2: coronavirus pandemic. Well, first he had it, but now he doesn't. Ohio Governor Mike DeWine was supposed to meet with President Trump yesterday. That was called off because he tested positive for COVID 19. But then later in the afternoon, DeWine tested negative. So what does that say about the state of testing in this country? We will look into that. It says it's a mess, is what it says. <laughs> simple answer. Yeah. Schools are now allowed to
1: open back up in New York, but it's not going to be quite
2: the same. If you could save lives, would you let researchers inject you with the virus? Lots of people apparently would, upwards of 30,000. So we'll talk about that later on.
1: But of course, a lot of people won't.
2: Yeah. I know know one. I know one of them. six billion people.
1: (laughs) I know one. (laughs) you. Yeah, you're on the list. Yeah, I'm on on the, I'm on the, no, uh, no, thank you. Um, with lockdown restrictions loosening, more people are starting to travel again, so the tourism industry is ready.
2: And young social media influencers, they are still partying in the middle of a pandemic, so they can film themselves partying, because that's their content. So they know they shouldn't be doing this, but they can't seem to stop. We will talk about that.
1: What's the point of of filming yourself or taking video of yourself partying to show people that you can party? I mean... Why?
2: So you can buy one of those Mercedes SUVs Oh, and park it in front of your mansion.
1: Oh, okay. (laughs) I I guess that's a good reason. That's the life. (laughs) Not everything, by the way, is doom and gloom during this pandemic. We will hear how a frontline nurse is getting married this weekend despite some very long odds.
2: Let's get back to Ohio's governor and his test results. Jeremy Dyke, senior policy fellow at the Center for Global Development. He led the Obama administration's response to the Ebola outbreak. Jeremy, the governor tested positive using one of the antigen tests and then negative with the PCR test. So take us through the differences between those.
0: Well, so the, the governor tested positive using the, the Abbott test, which is an antigen test, and it operates a little bit like a home pregnancy test. Where it is a um, you know a, a mostly effective but occasionally uh, occasionally wrong um, rapid test and there's a trade-off generally between the speed and accuracy with some of these tests so that the the antigen tests like Abbott are much much faster you get results uh, in front of you within minutes you don't have to send it back to um, you know back offsite to a lab and the sort of long long turnarounds that we're seeing on testing in most of the country but the trade-off is that they're not as accurate. Um, so generally the protocol when you have a positive with an Abbott test or, or other antigen tests is you would then go and reconfirm that by PCR. Uh, PCR is um, a much more fine-grained, uh, accurate test. It's about 98% accurate or more, but it takes a long time and it's much more involved and much more expensive. Um, in a way, you know, this is a vision of a possible future that we could have if we could scale up the rapid antigen tests um, You know, we would be able to, those are much cheaper and much faster. You trade off some accuracy. Um, And then, you know, on the positive test, you try and get the accuracy back with PCR just to reconfirm. And that's what happened here. So it's, you know, it's not a big problem.
2: So, yeah, I guess it's working like it should. But the antigens, if you're going to do screening, and in this case, you know, they're trying to screen people that are going to be around, the president but i guess you could be screening that's for right. anything you could be screening into workplaces you could be that's screening right. into schools whatever it is do those just get about as accurate as they are right now or can they get better and they're just new and that's why we're seeing this
0: well it's a little bit of both they they will probably never be as accurate as a pcr test but they could um you know as the technology evolves they could probably become more accurate than they are now and one of the big mysteries or maybe it's not so big a mystery given uh, kind of the broader trends in the administration. But one of the big mysteries is why we haven't seen the government put much, much more focus on scaling up antigen testing. You know, they've been using it routinely for guests at the White House now for months. Um, it would provide a way to begin more safely reopening schools, reopening businesses. And there are there's a, a, a kind of growing round of calls in, uh, in the lab community, prominently from uh, a doctor called Michael Mina from Harvard, uh, arguing that w- the government should go really hard on scaling up these, these these cheap, fast antigen tests, because even if they're somewhat less accurate, uh, they are also you c- they can be carried out on a much larger scale.
2: Jeremy Kneindyke, Senior Policy Fellow, Center for Global Development, he used to serve in the Obama administration, leading in response to the Ebola outbreak. Jeremy, thanks for coming back on the show.
1: School districts across New York State are now allowed to reopen campuses this fall, but Schools still have a lot of work to do to meet all kinds of new restrictions.
2: And then one question is whether students and teachers actually show up. Mark mm-hmm. Trager, who's a New York City councilman, shares the education committee on the council. He used to be a public school teacher. So, Mark, is it just going to depend on if people feel comfortable?
3: That's a very important question, but I just want to point out uh, here in New York State, uh, the state health department only released their safety guidance on how schools can safely reopen in mid July. Why is that important? Well the state budget was passed months earlier and the city budget was just advanced about, you know, a few weeks ago. So a lot of the guidance is now putting, you know, strains on school districts to come up with additional you know, plans for temperature checks, to have they need nurses, they need adequate cleaning budgets to clean every night, not as opposed to just once a week. You need more more uh, cleaning supplies, disinfecting supplies. You need school buses. I want to point out to folks that in New York City, we don't even have executed school bus contracts. By this time, normally, bus companies know, the, know their routes. They don't even know right now. So I would argue that the state is asking for really uh, unrealistic and not feasible or practical expectations for school districts. They have a responsibility. To put, it, to put funds in place to actualize and operationalize plans, because right now, we just don't have the money in the city.
1: What about the teachers? Uh, we often hear from medical experts that for especially younger children, the uh, coronavirus uh, tends not to be particularly severe if it even shows any symptoms. But of course, that doesn't mean that uh, teachers who hopefully are older than the students uh, can't get seriously ill. How are the teachers responding to this notion of returning to the classrooms in just about a couple of weeks?
3: Right. So and I, I speak as a former teacher and I speak with many of my colleagues. And what I'll point out is that we are only one members of a, of a school community. Um, schools also need nurses. You know, hundreds of our schools, even before the pandemic, uh, didn't, don't have full time nurses. Uh, so there's 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 certain practical situations now that don't have answers. I'll give you an example. Uh, the our education department is telling us that if 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 a, if a child is coughing or sneezing or exhibiting signs of being sick, that they should be removed from the class and put into an isolation room. It doesn't say who should be with the child. And when they say you know provide services to the child, don't you want a licensed healthcare professional to do this type of work? Um, we also have situations now where uh, our mayor is, is telling us that children cannot come in five days a week. They can only come on certain certain assigned days. Principals are being told that some parents will send their kids five days a week and they have nowhere to send them. Uh, there's inadequate child care and, and services for children right now. So teachers are asking all the right questions, and we just don't have answers for them right now.
2: Do you think this is going to work?
3: As is, it cannot work, and I, and I think New York City is not alone. I think uh, Los Angeles, I think many other cities across the country, are grappling not just with the pandemic, but they're grappling with a fiscal crisis. In New York, we have about a million people unemployed. We have a seven billion dollar this is for the city a seven billion with a b billion dollar budget deficit and growing. Um, we don't have the resources to comply with safety guidance. Our, we also have a five-month back order on Lysol wipes. I don't know how things are are out in Los Angeles school, but if you ask your custodians, ask them if they can get their hands on Lysol wipes. If they can, please send some along to New York because we can't we, we can get them.
2: Yeah, we'll so. box them up, send them to you. Uh, Mark Traeger, New York City Councilman. Mark, thanks for talking to us. Uh, more complicated than the headline that says schools can reopen. Would you get sick? I mean, like, Potentially really sick. I was going to say, like, what level of sickness are we
1: talking uh, Sick enough that you know you're sick. Mm. That kind of sick. But would you do it on purpose? I don't think so. Well, but what if it is to rid the world of COVID-19 once and for all? Interesting. Okay. Getting, we're getting warmer? <laughs> all right. Some people wouldn't, me, but thousands of people would and have volunteered to take part in what's called human challenge
2: trials. The idea here is that they give you one of the experimental vaccines and then give you the virus to see if the vaccine works. Deliberately. Yep. Mm. Josh Morrison, co-founder of the advocacy and organizing group One Day Sooner. 30,000 volunteers they've gathered up willing to be infected with COVID. So, Josh, why go ahead with this if there's not really an effective treatment yet for the virus? I mean, there's like ethical concerns.
4: Think that's not totally true. Um, that that having a, a what's called a um, preemptive therapy or rescue therapy is a is a precondition. We don't have a therapy like that for flu or for RSV, which are two diseases. We do do challenge studies. Yeah, but for. you don't.
1: But you don't. But the flu is not nearly as potentially lethal, and you know that as this one is. <laughs>
4: Exactly. And I'll also mention that the, the World Health Organization ethics report um, doesn't mention a rescue therapy as, as something that's needed for, for challenge studies. But obviously, it's a it's a significant issue and it's a, it's a real risk and, and no one would want to downplay that risk. I think that the, the key thing here is two things. First, um, you know, the benefits of developing a vaccine even a, a day sooner or really, I should say, deploying a vaccine effectively a day sooner are so enormous that it would justify us doing more than we might do in other contexts. And the second thing, and this is really important, is that in the, when you look at the risks in young, healthy people, first, we would never want to downplay the risks, and it is a meaningful risk. Um, but, you know, the, it's, that risk is going to be lower than the risks of dying during childbirth or um, dying as something like kidney donation. Um, you know, based on uh, evidence of France, for example, uh, about one in 14,000 people who are infected with SARS-CoV-2 between ages 20 and 29 end up dying of it. And that's including both healthy and unhealthy people, um, but only healthy people could participate in a challenge study. so basically, this is a risk that um, is for a great benefit. uh, And that's, that's, smaller than other risks we let people take.
2: And your group, your 30,000, is mostly made up of that, that age group, the 20 to 29?
4: Um, Yeah, probably 20 to 35, I would say, um, would probably be most of the volunteers uh, in our group so far. But a substantial amount.
1: Yeah, but, but then you also end up, don't you, with, with a skewed result? Because vaccines are not as effective across mm-hmm. all age groups. And just because excuse me just because a vaccine may be effective in say 20 to 35 it may not be as effective in 35 to 50 or, or mm-hmm. 60 to to 80
4: yeah so that's a great question think here's two things first I wouldn't I think that if a vaccine is going to be effective in 18 to 25 uh, people who are healthy there it's probably going to also be effective in other healthy people who aren't elderly um, now the, then the other piece of this is a huge value of challenge studies is their improvement on our scientific understanding of the disease, which is going to be very helpful for figuring out if a vaccine works uh, for the elderly or for pediatric patients. And the way this works is that a challenge study can tell you something called of protection. What are the things where if your body is going to have an effective immune response, how can you tell that ahead of time? Because if you can figure that out, Then if you see that a vaccine is producing those correlates of protection, you don't need to wait for, you know, 10,000 people to see if, you know, a few of them get COVID or not. You can feel confident that it's going to be effective. So that can help us actually get a vaccine sooner for people who are outside of um, the, the range that it can predict directly.
2: Josh Morrison, co-founder of the organizing group One Day Sooner. More people are
1: traveling again. Lockdown orders are easing and people are just tired of
2: being stuck at home tourism industry welcoming people but switching up marketing strategies to account for new pandemic related concerns. KYW's Charlotte Reese talked to Lori Wu, professor with Temple University School of Sports, Tourism, Hospitality Management about the changes.
5: I think I can definitely see some key messages um, out there um, emphasizing safety and health priority. That seems to be a priority that's apply to all kind of industry sectors, uh, no matter it's travel, restaurant, food, and beverage, or the lodging um, sectors. On the other kind of uh, marketing strategies change that we have seen is how the coronavirus has completely appended the industry in terms of practices. A lot of industry sectors or companies that used to rely on visitors' volume or mobility are thinking about new ways or innovative ways to reach out to their customers, maybe by social media or maybe perhaps having consumers consume their content or entertainment materials uh, rather than a visit taking a visit to their theme park just like Disney have done so, and at the same time, a lot of restaurants are also thinking about innovative ways for consumers to experience the brand or experience their food offerings um, via take-home methods or off-premises methods. So, these we can definitely see a lot of innovations happening at the same time a big priority given to safety and assurance and confidence. Mm-hmm.
6: Yeah, definitely. That makes sense. And As you said, like, cleanliness is definitely a big part of uh, attracting people, especially to hotels right now or Mm -hmm. Airbnbs. And, you know, I've seen some pretty creative marketing campaigns, but Mm -hmm. one that has topped the list is Emirates Airlines. They're actually Mm -hmm. offering to pay for your funeral if you get COVID-19 on your trip and Mm -hmm you know, the worst case scenario happens. I mean, it definitely got my attention. Does that
5: stuff work? Well, if it's getting your attention, then from media communication perspective, they already grabbed the market's attention. So from that pure attention perspective, that's probably achieving some of the attentiveness-based goals. At the same time, I think because we, when we think about this practice, when we quote it as creative, it's probably very out of expectation of what consumers or the market would normally see airlines or other tourism industry or, uh, companies would practice. I think. Our interpretation of this practice, particularly, probably need to be related with their earlier practices, such as even in May, Emirates have already launched the industry-leading safety standards. So you can definitely see from a lot of their practices, their news releases, as well as all these pictures uploaded by their consumers, that this company is trying their best to ensure the customer's safety. And so are a lot of other airline companies. But as you can see, at this point, when they're trying to launch a customer confidence boost practice, such as um, that we want to cover the expenses that's related to COVID-19, you kind of see how desperate the industry is and how much impacted the entire industry is um, due to COVID-19. So definitely this kind of practice, this kind of media marketing practice will get people's attention. But at the same time, I think this also hits consumers somehow with the sense of, okay, I know that you want to cover these expenses for me. You try to boost travel confidence, but where are your safety assurance practices? I think those kind of messages are what people want to know more, and it's more important to emphasize.
1: Most of you are internet savvy. Otherwise, you you know wouldn't have found... Our podcast, you'd be like probably sitting in your kitchen, kitchen watching toast come out of your toaster or something like that. So you've probably seen clips of social media influencers and others throwing big house parties, even though we are in a pandemic and large gatherings are not really allowed. Well, there was one such big party at Hype House did I say that right? It is Hype
2: House. It's the Hype House. It is the
1: Hype. Is it the Hype House or um, just
2: Hype House? I don't know. They might have dropped the
1: I don't the. want to hype them. But is it
2: cooler to drop the the?
1: It, it probably is. Yeah. Maybe it's cooler to drop house and just call it Hype. <laughs> but, okay, it's called Hype House, a mansion in the Hollywood Hills that's home to several social media influencers.
2: And it's not secret because a bunch of people go to the parties and then they film themselves at the parties because that's the whole idea. But they're doing this in the middle of the pandemic. Karen North directs the Annenberg program on online communities at USC. Karen, why can't they stop?
7: Right. And, you know, you have to remember that there's a lot of pressure on these um, social media influencers. It's like creating a television show, but instead of having a script and a series and a sequence and then a hiatus, the story is themselves and their lives and how outrageous they can be. So pandemic or no pandemic, and I personally take the pandemic extremely seriously. But these people still have millions of people and their entire livelihood counting on them doing something crazy and outrageous. And there's a lot of pressure on them day to day to figure out something to do. And so I think a lot of risks are taken to um, maintain their brand or their, you know, their persona on online.
1: But they, they don't even seem to recognize, if not the risk to themselves, because look, statistically, At their age, they are not likely to get seriously ill with this particular disease, possible but not as likely. But they don't seem to take seriously the notion that unless they live in a sort of hermetically sealed box, maybe they do, uh, they can potentially spread it to people who can be fatally impacted by this disease.
7: Yeah, I mean, I'm completely with you on that, but, you know, they're they're no different than— all the other young people who've had parties and gone to spring break and done Fourth of July get-togethers and other, these other house parties, the only difference is that these people are that and then amplified because they're trying to make a living by being that, you know, extreme personality.
2: So do you make the link that, hey, everybody's watching them parties, so I can go to a little get-together if I'm 20, right?
7: You know, probably, like, this is one of those, the chicken and the egg. I'm not sure which one came first, but I know that they're feeding off of each other's activities.
2: Some of them have been called out, and they've offered apologies, and, you know, it's a post. But then, you know, you spot them, and there's even, like, accounts, because I did some digging for that. I don't usually follow these people. But, like, there's (laughs) accounts that point out, like, who was at whose party. Right. And it's, like, this whole thing. So for those who have gotten in, quote-unquote, trouble, if they're back at it next weekend— what does it matter i guess it's just this is they're not going to stop and i guess look this is not to explain it away but if you've been trying to be big on social media for such a long time like and you finally got to that moment you're probably not going to give it up easily pandemic or not bad example or not
7: and keep in mind that you know this is like any other brand if you want to be a family brand you have to do certain activities and present yourself in a certain way And if you want to be the crazy, outrageous brand, then you present yourself a different way. And I use as an example, you know, Coca-Cola wants to teach the world to sing, dating myself, but um, versus, you know, Red Bull, which is all about action and adventure. You know, you look at different things. So for some of these, you know, some of these influencers, they want to be a family brand, and they actually integrate with things like Disney. And there are others that are outrageous, like Jake and Logan Paul, who go out and do really outrageous things, or look at the um, the Kardashians, they have to keep doing big parties, big fancy events, big get togethers. Otherwise, it ruins their brand. So for the ones who are not the family friendly brand, the ones who are the crazy party brand, then, you know, it's off brand to be concerned about the pandemic.
2: Here's something I want to point out. Yeah, go ahead. that And Karen, you can probably, maybe you'll agree with me on this, but we still get all of these. headlines that are blaming millennials for things like millennials keep doing this. Millennials keep do-. the oldest millennials like 38 years old now. So I think it's time to stop blaming millennials so it's n- for it's, stuff. It's the
1: next generation. Yeah, it's it, right,
2: Karen? It's
7: Well, listen, you're talking to somebody named Karen and I have to say I haven't seen a single Karen be blamed stop for being a middle-aged white woman who's whatever. It's always somebody with another name. So I stand by the old millennials on being blamed for things that you're not, shouldn't be blamed for. Oh,
2: uh, you Karen.
7: Uh, hey, stop it. Stop it. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Karen North, Edinburgh Program, Online Communities, USC. Karen, thanks for talking to us. Hey,
7: take care. It great talking to you guys.
2: Not
1: even a pandemic or cancer can stop true love. A frontline nurse in New York City is getting married this weekend. Her fiancé is in remission with stage four cancer. Well, because of his cancer and her being a nurse in the middle of a pandemic, they've barely been able to spend much time together.
2: They'll be inseparable now. Ashley, the bride-to-be, talks to Bridget Quinn from 1010 Winds about her unusual pandemic relationship with her fiancé, Israel.
6: He finished his last chemo mid-March, and that last chemo was when it all started. So when I left him after the chemotherapy, um, it was kind of like, when are we going to see each other? Um, I had to go back. Sorry, I'm so emotional when I talk about it. Um I had to go back to work, and we didn't know, you know, when we would see each other again. Um, since that March visit, we've seen each other twice. So it's, wow. it's been an emotional time. Cannot wait to see him for the wedding. It's, uh, it's, yeah, emotional. That's all I can describe it. That's the one word I have. It's just, it's been emotional.
8: Of course. And by the way, maybe it's good you get out your emotions here and now so you don't need that uh, waterproof mascara
6: on Sunday,
8: <laughs> well, Ashley. It's, it's, <laughs> there's
6: no chance the waterworks are going to start.
8: <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they will. By the way, how, how is his health?
6: He's good. He, thank God, his scan was clear in May. Um, we have another scan actually after the wedding. Um, so, you know, fingers crossed and we're just, we're just hoping for the best.
8: Of course. Now, have you had to stop working a certain amount of time ahead of the wedding?
6: Um, I'm actually off this week. I took the week off. We're moving into a new house. um, And he, you know, I'm moving in kind of by myself doing it all. So I had to take off of work. Um, So I had that time off, which was great.
8: That's wonderful. Now, the ceremony is Sunday, as we've been telling our listeners who are going to be joining you guys and hearing this all happen on the radio Uh, in a a backyard in New Jersey, a small gathering. Now, I know um, the planning had to have been challenging, right, because you obviously can't have everybody there that you wanted.
6: Yeah, that was tough for us because we were, you know, we love our family. We love our friends. They were with us and supported us through our most challenging times and now that we want to celebrate we want them there with us and we can't and that is killing us you know I, it's it's hard i mean even my my grandmother can't make it so, and that is that's just breaking my heart you know like my friends my cousins my aunt you know it's it's really hard but you have to just keep remembering that they they want the best for you and they know that the wedding is it is all that matters. And you two being a married couple is all that matters. And everybody's been so supportive and understanding that they can't come. Does that change things at all that that your wedding is going to be live on the radio? It's exciting. You know, you lose the excitement of having all the hundreds of people there. But I gain the excitement of having everybody being able to listen, and hopefully have some you know, gain some hope from this. I know everybody's going through such a hard time right now and no one is without hardship and challenges. And I just hope that this story, you know, can bring, if it brings one smile to someone's face, then, you know, I'm happy. I, you know, we put our wedding up for everybody to watch I'm, I'm happy to do it to make someone happy.
8: Ashley, congratulations, all the health and happiness in the world.
6: Thank you. Thank you so much. And I wish that for everyone listening
1: okay thank you again the virus has disrupted the sports world in so many ways too many to really get into right now but the focus right now is whether nfl and big-time college football will go on as usual this fall now we've heard about some players getting the virus it turns out a high profile college coach had it as well the los angeles times says ucla's chip kelly tested positive for the virus in late march This after campus and spring practice was shut down. Well, he fortunately recovered at home with no apparent issues. No one associated with the team or athletic department had to quarantine as a result of Kelly's positive test
2: you rethought the uh, challenge trial thing yet
1: i've been thinking about it since we started talking about it and and i've come to a conclusion yes and that is no i'm not going to do it
2: (laughs) (laughs) thanks for listening to us you can find us on the radio.com app apple Podcasts, google podcasts and stitcher no
1: way